Hello out there in the Pottoverse. Welcome to Weaver's Circle, the interview podcast for the Weave the Tale Twitch channel. I am your host, Spence, and on this show, we will be talking with the channel's game masters, casts of the game, and the designers of the games that are being played. This week, we are talking with Anna, who is our GM for our Parslings game. Anna, welcome to uh, Weaver's Circle. How are you? Hey, Spence. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to have you. So um, for those of us who are not familiar with you as a GM or as a player, uh, tell us a little bit about who you are and your experience with role-playing. Yeah, totally. So I'm Anna. You might also know me as Nymeria941. That's my username pretty much everywhere on the internet. So if we've interacted on Discord, hey, same person. Um, my experience with TTRPGs goes back to when I first started playing in college. I actually started with a Pathfinder 1E campaign that mm-hmm. I played with some friends that I met my first year that went for quite a while, took a brief hiatus from that. And I didn't actually start GMing games until, let me see, probably like 2018 or so, uh, mainly because there were a lot of systems that I really wanted to play that I could never find GMs for. So I thought, mm-hmm. okay, I'll just GM this myself. Um, and then I just kind of caught the bug for it. I actually GM'd my first ever stream campaign uh, last year, which was a City of Mists game on the channel Heroes Without Limits. Oh, cool. That was super fun. It was an original adventure and everything. And then, of course, um, I GM'd the Boston Besieged uh, game, which is Flames of Freedom, last season on Weave the Tale. And that was fun, too, because that was a game I actually got to work on. Because, hello, last year I also got into actually working professionally in uh, TTRPG design and working on stuff like that. Oh, so that's, that's definitely informed the GMing a lot for me. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's yeah. so cool. So, I mean, there are a lot of different gaming systems out there and it sounds like you've had uh, a bit of a wider experience than most people, um, have, have you come across any, uh, systems that were really unique that you enjoyed? Uh, as a player or as a GM or is it either just kind or of a, either or a bit of both? <laughs> yeah. So I think uh, one of the things that I realized starting last year as well as I began to get more into GMing is that I really like games that have systems where the focus is less on the GM lays out an adventure for you. And it's more like the GM is somebody that is there to facilitate collaborative storytelling. And my first real experience with that um, was actually playing a GM-less game. That was the first time that I had ever quote-unquote GM'd on stream. Technically, you know, there's not a GM, but it was a game of Sleepaway, which is um, another like playing card-based TTRPG mm-hmm. similar to Parslings, but it's designed by Jay Dragon. And it is about a bunch of like camp counselors at this mysterious summer camp uh, haunted by this Uh, creeping eldritch monstrosity called the Lindworm. And so I was the facilitator in that I had read the rule book the most and I was kind of like arbitrating and organizing stuff behind the scenes. But I think the games that have had the biggest influences on me are the ones in which the GM or the facilitator role is also very immersed in telling the stories, whether that is in character with the other PCs Mm -hmm or through some other method. So other games that do this really well um, that I discovered playing last year are Stielenacht, which is a game where 
the players are all people that are trying to communicate with a ghost of someone they know who has died. And the facilitator role is the person who plays the ghost. Uh, or um, Quietus is another RPG that has been really influential on the way that I think about uh, GMing and designing my games. That's a two or three player max horror RPG. And it's one of those ones where you make up your characters on the spot. When I run it, I ask my players for lines, fails, invitations. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we do we do our character creation. We take like a 10 minute break. Give me a second to come up with something based off of the characters that they've made and the invitations that they've given me for how they want to invite in the horror. Mm-hmm. And then we just roll with it. So I really like games that encourage a lot of improvisation and immersion on the part of the GM as well. Oh, that's fantastic. And I, I also am a huge fan of GM-less games. Um, mm-hmm. my, my personal favorites that you and I can gush about off stream um, are uh, Children of the Fall by Frenzy Kitty Games. Um, oh, I've never heard of that before. Oh, it's a, a post-apocalyptic um, game where you're all children be- between the ages of like 10 and 16 and basically all adults one day suddenly snapped and became these uh violent um cannibalistic creatures and so and so the children are trying to survive uh knowing that when they get to that point of adulthood uh they too will change and so they're they're trying to survive and and so on um and it's a fully GMless game. Everybody takes turns setting the scene, um, and and so on. Um, the other one that I really enjoy is Hot Guys Making Out, um, <laughs> which is uh, a game that is focused both with uh, four different players. They use playing cards, and if you mm-hmm. go by the setting that's in the book, it's 1930s revolutionary Spain. And you're nice. playing basically, you're playing as a, a a Yuri manga or a Yaoi manga, whichever is the one with, with two guys that are romantic interests. Um, and it's great. I love it. I love everything about it. That uh, does sound awesome. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, let's get back to talking about you. Uh, <laughs> but now we will talk afterwards. Um, yes. <laughs> so, so what drew you to Parslings? Um, so the short answer of this is Mitch, actually, um, who reached out to me and asked me to GM the game. Common thing. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so he he drew me to Parslings because he said, hey, do you want to GM it? But no, I had actually heard of the game beforehand because um, when we were doing our One Shot Wednesday series uh, last fall on the channel, mm-hmm. that this is one of the one shots that they ran. And I watched parts of it like coming in and out. I was really intrigued by the system looked it up because it was on Kickstarter at the time. And then when I saw this is a system all about like the power that words have to shape the world in a very literal and meaningful way, that's Mm -hmm. kind of my whole thing. (laughs) Like, I love that in media. And yeah, I was just immediately intrigued by the idea of like word venom parasites, Mm -hmm. essentially. (laughs) So, so so it, explain that to me a little bit so like the th- the terms of frames that we phrases that we use like rule of thumb um that could mm-hmm. actually have specific meaning in parslings yeah so in parslings every character like every player character is a parsling which is you know where the name of the game comes from and a parsling is a human who has a parse which is like this 
kind of a linguistic parasite is maybe the best way I can think of uh-huh. to explain it. Um, it's it's a it's an idea, a very strong driving idea, like a word, like um, a word like hunger or a word like miracle or a word like tend. It's some sort of strong noun that desires to manifest in some way in the world. And so in the in the setting of the game, it is kind of mysterious where the parses come from. It's not understood why some people can survive a, an infection from a parse, and then those people then become parslings, and some people don't survive it. There's all of this like strife and turmoil about what do we do with this whole new group of people living with these word idea things inside of them. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I love about like the literal embodiment of that though is that the parslings all have these kind of living tattoos um, that the parses create inside of them. So it's like they have living ink on them. And I just I love the idea that um, when parslings are near each other, their parses come towards like the surface of their skin and it's kind of like they they have Spider-Man's Spidey sense with each other, mm-hmm. but for words. And I was just like, that's so cool. It's like it's like when you see somebody wearing a shirt from your favorite band and you don't have to know them to just look at them and be like, hey. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like that little bit of a connection there. And I thought that was fascinating to have that just based off of a single word. You don't even have to know what it is to have that connection. That's really cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so what have you told your players about the setting that you're, that you're building or that you would like to, to tell the story in? So uh, the setting of the book, it's, it's technically kind of setting agnostic. You could run a parcelings game in any type of genre that you want, but mm-hmm. the one that I've chosen to do is I've chosen to take uh, nominal city, which I love because again, wordplay is a huge thing for me, mm-hmm. and it's a big part of this RPG, so it's kind of perfect. Yes. Um, I've d- I've chosen to take nominal city, which is the sort of pre-provided city that you can use as a blank canvas for your campaign, and I'm going to incorporate a lot of elements of Seattle, which is the area that I'm from. It's where I live. Mm-hmm. It's kind of where I base a lot of my urban type adventures for TTRPGs out of because I know it really well and because it's a place where we have a confluence of a lot of like social issues that are really prevalent in our conversation today. Right. So that's all the players know right now. We're actually going to have our session zero a couple hours after we record the podcast. Mm -hmm. And part of what I like to do during that is I like to let the players come up with some elements that they declare to be true about the world especially because in parslings, the characters can use their parses, like when they parse together, they can use the words that live inside of them to actually manifest material changes in their world. So I usually do some type of a collaborative world building, like there will be a place where they will all go to be together, you know, probably some place that they've always wanted to investigate, Mm -hmm. something like that. And that really also helps me as a GM because the things that the players come up with and give me ideas for what kinds of adventures I know they would like to have. Yeah. So, yeah. So you, you bring up Seattle and you're basing the game in Seattle. Now for, for me, mm-hmm. what I've done when I've GM'd games is that I've taken a location that I'm intimately familiar with and things that I thought were very quirky and like set a, a thematic thing there now I'm not asking you to give away anything because you haven't really uh figured that part out yet but are there parts of (laughs) Seattle that are like prime real estate for a good plot point or a good like scene point 
Oh God, yes, absolutely. There are so many places. Like, I think that's part of what helps me design the setting so well for this game is because there are places that are just like real life adventure hooks. Um, there's, for one thing, the Pike Place Market, which is a wild and chaotic location <laughs> that I actually used to work at. Uh, it's a giant public market, got people coming there from all over the world. There's so much going on. Mm-hmm. Great like opportunity for exchange of goods and ideas and artwork and stuff. There's also a lot of really fun Uh, sometimes hidden, sometimes not street art around the city that I actually really like to go find and take pictures of. Mm -hmm. Um, In my old neighborhood, when I used to live within the city limits, um, there would be, you know, like you'd you'd come to know (laughs) certain people that would like tag buildings with different designs Mm -hmm. or with different uh, sentences. Like, I don't know who it was, but there was someone that would always make tags that said, be the light. And then sometimes, you know, one day you'd wake up and there'd be a huge Be The Light mural somewhere where there just used to be a blank wall before. And that kind of, I think, pairs very nicely with Parslings because it is a a game that I see very much as being about the power of art, language, and expression to change the world around us. And Mm -hmm. the way that the street art works in in my old neighborhood is very much that. a couple other fun things. Seattle has a bunch of, again, random other public arts. Mm-hmm. So we have uh, what's called the Fremont Troll. It's literally a giant troll statue under a bridge. <laughs> giant. Like I used to ride the bus past it every day to get to work. And I've always wanted to put that in an adventure because it's like that troll is just begging to come to life and like walk around the city oh, yeah. and do, do troll things. So I'm like, that has to happen. Mm-hmm. And there's also, um, there's another entire city underground back from uh, the really early days of when like white people first came in and started like building buildings on this land and on the Duwamish land and everything. Mm-hmm. And um the the city would always flood at high tide because they didn't think about, you know, street level or whatever. So eventually after time passed and they got sort of tired of uh, walking through mud and dirt roads and, you know, having the streets flood twice a day or whatever, they decided to raise the street level. And there's an actual like an entire underground city uh, network of tunnels and everything beneath this new street level. It was completely abandoned and condemned because there were <laughs> there were worries about outbreaks of the bubonic plague right. in like the 1920s mm-hmm. which is just weird to say out loud but so they were forgotten for a while and then it wasn't until i think the 80s that somebody had heard like these old stories of tunnels beneath the city and he believed that they could really be there even though everyone said there's no way that's just an urban legend and so i think that like that as a location is just beautiful for storytelling oh man i think they used that in like dragon age inquisition for one of the little plot quests where you really you find out you find out that there's this whole flooded uh uh city under a lake that when you drain the lake uh that you actually find the city where all a whole bunch of people were sick and they were left there to drown Oh man, that's so cool. So like I've actually been down there too and yeah. there's just so much there. There's there's areas that are open to the public and then there's areas that aren't, but mm-hmm. it's literally an entire underground city. Oh wow. It's so cool. Um so one of the things, you know, with the GM brain going and you were talking about the <laughs> the the be the light um uh, artist, um I'm sitting here going what if the characters came up 
and caught that person in the act. Like, how could that be used? Like, I love, I love mm-hmm. thinking both of what they see and what it means, but also the act of creating that and mm-hmm. how how mm-hmm. you would frame that in a scene with a character. I think that's just, and maybe that's just the GM brain kicking in, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that like that that storyteller brain is something that everybody has within them, regardless of whether you're GMing the game or not, that mm-hmm. impetus to try and figure out where do these things that we make come from? And yeah, like if that happens in game, that'll be super cool. Right? <laughs> like you could totally yeah. make this guy some kind of either a prophet or a false prophet, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and or maybe a parceling where they're uh, their parse is light, you know, or something mm-hmm. weird like mm-hmm. that. Uh, yep. There's definitely in that neighborhood, there are people that like I could pick out immediately and just be like, yeah, this makes sense for you to be a parceling, you know, like neighborhood characters, buskers, mm-hmm. artists, people like that. And I, I gave them all nicknames because I never knew like what their real names were. We right. would just sort of chat and hang out and whatever. But yeah, I'm like, uh, Maybe you'll be in this adventure. We'll see. <laughs> What's the weirdest place that you've put into a game so far? Like like the, the one with the darkest history? Because uh, you seem to like horror. <laughs> That's so funny because I never used to think that I actually liked horror. Um, the one with the darkest history. I think... Hmm. Would you like me to in a give game a filler that, example? <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, mostly because I want to hear what your example is, and it'll give okay. me time to like formulate my <laughs> sure, sure. So, um, so I grew up Catholic, and um, I used to do weekend retreat retreats at this uh, house in Manchester, New Hampshire, called the Emmaus mm-hmm. House. Now, the Emmaus House is a has had many different lives. Um, it started mm-hmm. out as an orphanage, then it was turned into a maternity ward, then it was abandoned for like 70 years, and then it was converted into this Catholic youth retreat house. Um, mm-hmm. And in it, there are built-in bunk beds. Uh, some of the rooms still have old gurneys in them with mattresses. Um, and then in the basement where they have remodeled it as a chapel, that basement chapel is the former morgue and crematorium for the un for for those who passed away during childbirth or the babies that didn't make it. Oh my god! It is creepy as hell. That's and down, so scary. And oh my down, god! And down on that level, there's also the kitchen, and then on the other side is the staff bunk beds for hmm. for like the teen volunteers. Hmm. I have run a I've run a game. interesting choice to put the to put the kitchen on the same level as the morgue, right? but okay, <laughs> that's where my brain goes. So, so it's it's uh, it's very strange. It uh, the the operating room is now the craft room. Uh, wow, it's uh, it, it's totally messed up. But I've I put um rituals down there in uh urban shadows game that mm. i ran and like i totally twisted it because religion is just so ripe for twisting uh so yeah that that's my example of a real life I place that, that is super creepy and i just made it creepier <laughs> i love that 
Um, I'm, I'm thinking probably for mine, the one that I have actually used in an adventure that I think uh, was a good example, because the players were really responsive to it too, is that I grew up very close to St. Augustine, Florida, like I'm from mm-hmm. Florida originally, used to go there a lot as a kid, uh, as a college student, stuff like that. And there's just because that city is so old, like it's going on what? going on a 600 year old city Mm -hmm. uh, at this point, I think. And um, because that city is so old, there's so many buildings and like so many cycles of popularity and then sort of falling into rotten ruin uh, that has happened over time. So it was a, it was a call of Cthulhu game that I had set during like the 1920s in St. Augustine, which was actually a really rough time for that city. It went from being a really popular like destination for rich people from the, you know, more northern United States to go for the summer or sorry, go for the winter. Uh, And then when the railroad came and they could go even further south, St. Augustine was kind of getting passed by. And a lot of the adventure, the setup to it, and then the eventual, you know, climax of it took place at the uh, Flagler Hotel, which is now, or the Ponce de Leon Hotel, which is now Flagler College. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a place that I've actually been. But then when I started doing some research about what it was like in the 1920s, and I was like, there was all these strange things happening where it just kind of became this hotbed for criminals to try and conduct, you know, apparently legitimate business out of this hotel. Mm-hmm. And so I had the characters all ended up there. And then, of course, I love uh, lighthouses mm-hmm. in stories because they're just such good spots for horror and weird stuff and uncanniness. And of course, there's a lighthouse in St. Augustine, so they had to go there. There's so many ghost stories about that lighthouse, and that wasn't even the scary thing that they found there. Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Yeah. And you talk about St. Augustine. My mom loves the Basilica of, of St. Augustine. Um, mm-hmm. She, she I know that one, too. <laughs> she's absolutely, uh, she sent me pictures of it. I'm like, oh, I could do so many terrible things with this location. <laughs> Yeah, well, and that one too has like levels to it because yeah. again, I I've been there several times, and you know, it's just oh, there's so many cool things that you can do. Yeah, there's so many cool things. So, so tip for GMs uh, that I'm taking away from this is look up the uh, look up the local uh, lore of your city or the city you yes. grew up in and use yes. it. <laughs> yeah. I think like what you said about me liking horror, I think what makes my horror GMing something that I really enjoy to do is I try to find things about very mundane stuff that we all sort of find creepy or eerie, but Mm -hmm. we don't really think about consciously and then put that in games Um, or just something that's slightly out of the ordinary. Like I was, I was talking with a friend yesterday and I told my friend Oh, I realized every like horror type game that I have GM'd at some point a character finds like a sealed envelope at the bottom of a drawer, mm-hmm. and my friends like because that's terrifying. I'm like, yeah, because it seems harmless, mm-hmm. and then you just have to know what's inside it. <laughs> you just open the Pandora's box of fear. So yeah, yeah, it, it's great. But see, I I don't like horror, but I run horror very well. <laughs> So. Yeah, I thought I didn't like horror. And then I realized that's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we are coming to the end of our uh, of the episode. Um, are there any projects that you're currently working on that you'd like to hype? 
Oh my goodness. Well, um, in addition to GMing Parslings, I'm also going to be playing on Black Void on Weave the Tale. Nice. Um, I will be joining that as a player. We had our session zero for that yesterday, and I'm so excited for this character that I've made. And we are all just spacefarers in a universe based off of like ancient Babylon. The oh. humans kind of get ripped out of the the human timeline of ancient Babylon and dumped into space. So it's just a really fascinating setting. And it's a D12 system, which I've also never played before. Um, so other than that, the, uh, there's a couple other places that you can find me. I play in a cyberpunky type game of Estate on Colonomicon's channel, mm-hmm. a Lancer game on Valdrian's channel, and a Zweihander Beyond the Twilight Road game over on Critical Misses. Ooh. Yes, I'm doing a lot, but I love TTRPGs, and I cannot be stopped. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be the title of this episode, Anna, Anna Can't I Be Stopped. I love and I can't be stopped. Exactly. And I also I also make them and write them. So like there are things that I'm working on that I can't talk about just yet, but follow me on Twitter and I'll announce them as soon as I can because I just get really excited about these new projects and sharing them with people. Yep, and we'll, we'll have your Twitter link and uh, your Twitch link on the uh, uh, in the show notes as well. Uh, thank you so much for being on. I'm, I really enjoyed getting to talk to you and I look forward to our further conversations about everything. <laughs> Me too. Thank you so much, Spence. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And we'll talk to you uh, again for your role in Black uh, Void and uh, as your campaign progresses and maybe we'll do a, a campaign wrap up to talk about how you felt it went. Oh yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Thank you to our guest for joining me for this episode of Weaver's Circle. Be sure to check out their social media links in the show notes and tune in live for their game. Weaver's Circle is mixed and produced by Spence of ResonantMoon.com. Weaver's Circle is owned by Weave the Tale Gaming Channel and its parent company, Penny for a Tale, LLC. You can reach out to the podcast and find out more about our games at PennyForAtail.com. Music in our intro and outro is Fearless First by Kevin McLeod, used with permission. Weaver's Circle is created under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, for international license. You can download it and share it, just don't change it or sell it. Remember, today is a good day to roll some dice. Thank you for listening.